I imagine if I were to take a survey around this room, passed it out, or we even did it just by raising our hands, we would find that there's a, a mix of people in this room that are probably struggling with the level of hope of some, uh, some kind. You're walking through Christmas season, and for some, you come to this Christmas season, and you say, I look forward to Christmas on one hand. On the other hand, I don't look forward to it. For some, the holiday seasons can be really hard. As you look back over the previous year, or you look at, back at life experiences, and the holidays sometimes fester up and remind of sometimes of, of the challenges of life that sometimes hit us. Matter of fact, sometimes I think it's tough to sing joy to the world when our world is in such a mess. And it may be the world that's around us, or maybe my own very personal world can be in such a mess, it's hard to sing some of the joy-type songs. Some of us secretly wonder if it's really true that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Because we have hopes and we have fears, we're wondering, are they really going to be met in the Savior? What is Christmas really all about? As we now dive full-fledged into looking to the birth of the Savior, is it about the baking? Is it about the gathering? Is it about the football and the food and shopping and all the stuff that comes with the Christmas season? What is it really all about? For some, it's such a sad season that some can barely even talk about Christmas or some can hardly go through it. For some people, this is a season of depression. It's a season of anxiety. Matter of fact, this morning as we were gathering with our whether some of our volunteers beforehand and praying, one of the persons that was praying said, Lord, please take away my anxiety because it rises during this season. I know there are people who take the month of December and say, I'm not going around the church. It's just too hard for me during this season because of some life experiences they have walked in. And so today I want to talk with you about the gift of hope. Hope that comes during the Christmas season and reminds us and should carry us all year long. Really, what is hope? Uh, it, hope is not only hard to find, but I think it's sometimes difficult to define. Some equate hope with an optimistic feeling that all is going to turn out well. For those of you that are Kentucky football fans, you know the feeling. Every spring, it's going to be great. They're going to make a bowl game. It's going to be wonderful. You know, that's been true the last, what, four years? I mean, they've won like six, seven, eight, ten, nine games. I mean, we, we can't pick on them as much anymore. I mean, they're not going to be the doormat. For us Michigan fans, we hope. Used to be for national championships, and now it's just, can we beat Ohio State? Can we even play on the field with them? I mean, so hope changes. From You be quiet over in that corner, you know. For some of us, it's wishful thinking. Just, I hope that it's going to be a nice day today. I hope that today is going to be okay. I hope that nothing bad goes on. I mean, hope is an interesting word. It's easy to get hurt when our hopes are really high and then things don't go the way we want them to go and, and they go crashing down to the ground. Sometimes um, our hope can be ruined and destroyed just like this little girl at Christmas time.
I hope that's not your Christmas. Sometimes, though, that's our life. We thought it was going to be one thing and something else comes. And we're just like that child. But God, I wanted things to work out better than planned. That girl is a perfect example of Proverbs 13, 12 that says, Hope deferred makes a heart sick. For some in this room, your hope, your heart might be sick because hope has been deferred. Some of you lost hope today or this year, but it's not just because you didn't get the present that you wanted, you didn't get the toy that you wanted. Your life has been maybe decimated by disappointment and your expectations have evaporated. For some in this room, you've lost a job. For others, the bills are piling up. Maybe you've been trying to get pregnant and it's not happening. You've lost a loved one. You didn't get the promotion. Your child broke your heart. Divorce has hit close to home. I can look around this room, and I know just because I I know many of you in this room, 2019 has been hard for some in this year. You walked through some challenges. You had high hopes, but life has hit you hard. I came across a couple of real good Bible-based definitions that I think help us to understand the word hope. Hope is a future certainty grounded in a present reality. A future certainty, thinking I'm looking forward. Here's another one, that hope is wishing for what God has already promised us. <clears throat> See, we need hope today. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, 31, that strength is renewed for those who hope in the Lord. What are you hoping in this Christmas season. The word is more than just a wishful optimism. In the Old Testament, it means to bind together often by twisting. To bind together often by twisting. It refers to the process of making a rope by taking at least two strands of material and starting to twist them together. And we know if you have one strand and another strand, you twist together, that strand then becomes stronger, understood in this way, hope means that I bring my pain that I have and I bring it to the Lord on the other hand. I take my pain and I take his promises and I start to allow them to be twisted together. So I walk in my pain or my challenges or my difficulties. At the same time, I'm walking in his promises and we start to create a rope. To hope means that we wrap those together. We could say it this way, that we hold on to the rope of hope when it's hard to cope. When life is difficult, we hold on to that rope so that we can cope. Ecclesiastes 4, though, adds another strand, so to speak, to the rope, where it says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A cord of three strands. The third strand is the Savior. Jesus Christ, born on Christmas, crucified on Good Friday, rose again on Easter morning. Well, that's who we're talking about, heaven's child, the hope of the world. With him wrapped in our lives, we take our problems, we take his promises, we take him as a savior. You wrap that cord together and we have something to hold on to. We have hope to hold on to. That's what helps us to cope. The word hope is used over 52 times in the New Testament. Always connected to God in some way. That gives you a verse a week, a focus verse. So your homework and I wonder who's going to get this done for me. You can help me out. Your homework is to go find those verses. Go to the New Testament and look for the word hope. You say, how do you do that? Well, use a Bible app or go online to some Bible program and just look at the word hope, and you'll have a verse of hope for 52 weeks for 2020. And if you create that, we'll share it with the church. <clears throat> we can really 
be a way to help us walk in hope. By its very definition, hope is something that's invisible. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. So we can't see hope, but we fix our eyes on it. Romans 8 tells us, for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so we're in that process of waiting while we still continue in hope. These two verses teach us that we're going to hold on to hope. If we're going to hold on to that rope so that we can cope in this life, we must embrace its past, we must embrace its present, and we must embrace its future dimensions or realities. Let me talk to you about these three things, the past, the present, and the future. How do we hold on to hope? Well, past, the Old Testament, look forward to the coming of Christ. As God progressively revealed his plan of the promised one to come, the Old Testament people are looking forward. Isaiah 64, 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would leave the heavens and you would come down. That's looking forward. That, that is the past promises. God came down at Christmas. And in the first half of the Bible, we read of people who are hoping and longing and waiting for that. And after Jesus is born, we see that being fulfilled. That's the past. A woman named Anna is an example of this. In Luke chapter 2, she sees the baby Jesus and she thinks and speaks about heaven's child and says to all who were looking forward to redemption. So when the child has arrived, she says to all who were looking forward, to those who were looking to this day, for what things are you looking for for this Christmas? What are you hoping for? for this Christmas. There's a present help in this idea of hope. That no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how much pain is hitting you or pummeling you or how much failure you're feeling, that you can count on God right now. What are you walking in today that you're going, I need some hope in? Isaiah 46.1 says, God is an ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present means he's there. He's walking with you. He's not leaving you alone. David Jeremiah has written a book called A Bend in the Road in which he explains how every, everyone sooner or later comes up against something unexpected or unforeseen. For him, it was cancer. For many in this room, you've walked through some bends this year, some twists, some turns, some things that you weren't expecting. We don't know what 2020 might bring. For some, it's been unemployment. For others, maybe loneliness, straying children, financial worries, or, or relationship that has ruptured or blown up. This is when Jesus, the hope of heaven, steps into our lives, into our hurting. Lamentations chapter 3 says, Lord, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to one who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him. See, the key isn't to hope for something, but to hope in someone. You know, so many times when we walk through challenges of life, what do we hope for? Oh, God, take this challenge away. God, give me a job. God, take the cancer away. God, take this away. God, do this. We start hoping in these things. Not to hope for something from God, but to hope in God. God, I want to keep my hope in you as I walk through whatever I'm walking in, whatever the challenge may be. Romans 5, 4 tells us that pain has a place Because God uses our suffering. It gives us the opportunity to persevere and to change our character so that in the end, we up having a hope that doesn't disappoint. Psalm 25 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. 
So our hope, we keep it in the Lord Almighty, in God. I love what David Henderson writes. He said, despair comes when we believe what our eyes tell us, that when difficult circumstances play their hand, the game is over. There's no trump card, no other hand to be played. Hold fast to hope means being unwilling to let circumstances have the last word. Despair says circumstances tell us what is true about God, but hope says God tells us what is true about our circumstances. So many times we look at our circumstances. If our circumstances are good, life is good. Circumstances are bad, life is bad. We tend to have this circumstantial driven life. When we hope in the Lord, we're not controlled by our circumstances because our hope is in Jesus and the Lord Almighty. There's a future glory to the idea of hope. This future element that we're looking forward of what's to come. Kind of reminds me of the scene from an old Peanuts cartoon where Lucy and Linus are sitting in front of the TV and Lucy, in her nice, kind way, says, Get me a glass of water. And Linus looks surprised and asks, Why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. To which Lucy promises, On your 75th birthday, I'll make you a cake. Linus gets up, heads to the kitchen, and he says, Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. There's a lot of truth in that, though, isn't there? Life is so much more pleasant. We have something to look forward to. See, our senses scream that this is all there is. When we're in this world, our senses tell us that this life is the sum total of all our profession and all of our possessions, and then death ends it all. And it's all done. But this world is neither our home nor is it our hope. If you lost everything you have today, if you lost all of your money and all of your possessions and all of your stuff, would you still have hope? Or would it be a world of despair? Hard to answer that question until we walk in that. But that's how we should be walking as Christians. See, the Bible says that those who are wrapped up in a relationship with Jesus have the hope of heaven. That's a future, a confident assurance of God's promises. 1 Corinthians 15 says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. To hope means that we wait. Galatians 5 says, By faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. So there's this waiting, but we're looking forward to the future. It's only as I place my hope in God that I'm freed from from the compulsive pursuit of the next thing that I want that I think will bring satisfaction to my soul. Hope then can, can help me through a tragedy or a triumph. You know, this world teaches us that we need things to be fulfilled. And we all wrestle in that rat race, and we all fight against it. Matter of fact, the other day we were watching a football game and uh, the car commercial comes on. You know the ones that come on at Christmas time, the nice shiny car with the big red bow on top? And I looked at Brian and I said, do people really do that? Like, do they really buy brand new cars for each other? I mean, I don't know if that's just the world trying to jam it down our throat and telling us to do it, or we're thinking, yeah, we need to do that. Can I give you a little piece of advice? This was not in my sermon until first service, so now, it's, now you all get it too. Unless you are prepared and you have planned for that, just going out and buying a car is not a smart thing to do. Because in about three months, when you're making a five to $600 a month payment, you're going to be like, what did I do last Christmas? And you're going to hate in Christmas of 2019. Now, if you've been saving for it and you've been planning for it and you've been budgeting for it, by all means, go do that. But that's not just a car. 
That's the computer game. That's the latest gadget that you think you need. That's the newest clothes. If you haven't prepared for that and planned for that accordingly, and you think we're going to get all this stuff because it will make Christmas great, well, you're going to enjoy the short-lived moment of that, but we'll regret it because we're putting our hope into the stuff of this world versus into Jesus Christ. See, he came at Christmas the first time, but the Bible says he's coming back. That's a future hope. When the scripture writers describe this event, they often link it to hope. Titus 2 says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great Savior, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, while we wait for the blessed hope, what's it talking about? About the blessed hope, Jesus to return. And just as the Old Testament was talking about a Savior that's to come, and then they celebrate in the birth of Jesus, we wait for the Savior to return one more time. That should bring us hope. A few years ago, housing market was greatly struggling, and a government official gave out a phone number for homeowners who were worried about the rising cost of their mortgage payments. And how do we take care of this? I'm going to lose my home. Is there something I can do? And he said, the best you can do for your family is to call 1-800-995-HOPE. The only problem was it was not correct. Instead of it being an 800 number, it was an 888 number. Now, most everyone wants a little bit of hope in their life, but some of us think that we've been given the wrong number, so to speak. I want to give you three numbers this morning. I want to give you the right number. I want to give you some hope. See, if you make your hope rope stronger, there's at least three decisions I think we need to make. If you want to cope and hold on to that hope of rope, then you need to wrap yourself up in these three numbers. And these are three numbers not only we should wrap ourselves up in, but we should be willing to share. If you take the time to share this gift with somebody, you could change their life for eternity. First of all, get wrapped up in Scripture. Get wrapped up in Scripture. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, what does it say? We might have hope. This verse tells us that we can hold on to the hope because of the Bible. Church, I, you know, I deal with a lot of conversations, people dealing with anxiety and stress and worry and life being up and down and being a mess. I'll tell you, the number one thing to start to change that is a daily uh, engagement with God's Word. A daily engagement with God's Word, that you are reading God's Word, you're living in God's Word, you're studying God's Word, you're, you're, you're just filling your mind with God's Word. But we get so filled with so many other things, from social media to all the apps that are on our phone to the television, all of the work things that take over our mind. And what do we push aside? We push aside God's Word. And when we push aside God's Word, stress starts to rise, anxiety starts to rise, worry starts to rise. I got to tell you, Satan loves to lie to you. He loves to lie to us. What kind of lies does he tell us? He tells us, well... Um, there's no way for me to read the Bible. I don't understand it. So we set it aside. Oh, this book is so big. How can I possibly grasp all that? That's a lie from Satan. So we set it aside. I don't have the time to read. Well, that's another lie, lie from Satan. I'm not a very good reader. That's another lie from Satan. All these kind of things to keep us from the Word of God. We have the time. It's just making it a priority. We all read but it's just, what do I read? I read apps, I read newspapers, I read magazines, I read books. What about the idea of 2020 being a year that the one thing I read and the only thing I read would be the Scriptures? 
life would change dramatically for you. I guarantee if your hope level is here, it would skyrocket up to here. Your faith would grow uh, hugely, greatly, because you are in the Word of God. If we want to have our hope grow, we, we need to be in the Word of God. Secondly, I would encourage you to get wrapped up in the Savior. A decision of hope is that I want to get wrapped up in the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Savior of the world. That's what His name means. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph was to call Him Jesus because He will save the people from their sins. So His name literally means Savior. And we're sinners in need of a Savior. And a way to have hope is to have the Holy One in your life as your Savior. Colossians chapter 1 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope that one day I'll live in glory. The first part of John chapter 1 says that the Word became flesh. This is the single most unique quality of Christianity that makes it different from any other religion. God became flesh at Christmas. Jesus, the invisible, is, is the Word of God. Theologians call this the incarnation, the infinite second person of the Trinity who created all things according to John 1. John 1, 1 became a soft little baby. The collision of deity and humanity has full expression in Jesus and the infinite became an infant. So different than any other world religion. God became one of us in order to get us a message of hope. The message paraphrase puts it this way, the Word became flesh <coughs> and blood and moved into our neighborhood. <coughs> Jesus moved in our neighborhood, and for 33 years, He lived in our neighborhood. The NIV says that Jesus made His dwelling among us, which literally means to make one's tent. Made his dwelling among us, pitched a tent among us. Now, when I was a kid, we did a lot of camping, and we were at a lot of campsites. You know, there's not a lot of privacy at campgrounds. Maybe it's a little bit better nowadays if people are using a lot of camp, um, campers and so forth. But I remember we'd be in a tent, and you could hear the person next to you talking and carrying on. You got to know your neighbors, though. How many times? Because we're all right there, tent. We're all sitting around a campfire together. You're getting to know people you've never met before. That's what Jesus did. He pitched his tent among us because why? He wanted to get to know us. He wanted a relationship with us. He came down to spend time with us. To say that Jesus pitched a tent implies that he wants to be on familiar terms with us, that he cares about us. He wants to be close. He wants interaction. He wants us to have that kind of relationship with him. The last thing I would encourage you to do, a decision of hope, is to get wrapped up in salvation. To get wrapped up in salvation, you can unwrap hope by salvation or by even renewing your mind about your own salvation. How do you do that? This is something we all need to know how to do. Rather, we're sitting here today and going, I'm saved, I gave my life to Christ. Are you prepared to share this gift with somebody else? It's not real hard. We admit that we're sinful. We admit our sinfulness. Ephesians 2.12 says that those who have heaven's child in their life are without hope and without God. That those who don't have heaven's child if we don't have God in us, we don't have heaven's child, Jesus, in us, then we're without hope. First Chronicles 29 tells us our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. And so we want to have that hope. It's important then that we admit our hopelessness apart from Christ and 
because of our sinfulness, that without God, we admit, say, God, I'm, I'm without hope if I don't do something with this sin. And so how do you do that? You ask for help. See, the hope of heaven, Emmanuel, who is Jesus, who is with us, came to take away our sin. The Savior of the world came to save us from our sins. But it's not automatic, like just because he came to this earth, now everybody in the world is saved. We have to accept, we have to ask for, we have to admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I repent of my sin. And then we ask him to do something in our lives. Lord, I, I want you to take my sin away. Scripture tells us we accept Jesus as our Savior. See, when the angel made his announcement to the shepherds, he personalized the proclamation. In Luke chapter 2, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to, who's it say? To you. That's a personal term. Not a Savior has been born to the entire world. No, a Savior has been born to you. Now, does that cover the entire world? Well, absolutely, but it's a personal term. To you, you put your name in there. He is Christ the Lord. So when Jesus was born, he wasn't born just to them at that time, but to us today, we accept Christ as Savior. Another definition of hope is to trust. That it's time to trust Christ today because he has been born to you. If you need some hope to help you cope, then we need to receive the Holy One. For some, it's renewing our relationship with the Holy One. Like, I've received Him, but I need to repent. I need to ask for that help, and I make a, make a renewal. I heard someone say these words, and I think they're so true, that life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. Look at that for a moment. Life with Christ is an endless hope. But life without Christ is a hopeless end. Some of you know we left early for our Thanksgiving travels because we had to go to Michigan for two funerals. And some say, oh, man, it had to be so hard and it was so difficult and so interesting when you talk to people that are in the church or people outside the church, like a neighbor you talk to, like, I'm really sorry you don't walk through that. But when people are in Christ, then it's not an endless hope. You, you have great hope. And so both funerals were for ladies who have walked with Jesus for a long time. And so those funerals, even though there were some tears that were shed, they are more a celebration of life that has hoped in Jesus, and now they're with Jesus. We walk so differently when we keep our hope in Christ. Hebrews 6, 19 refers to a hope that is an anchor for the soul that is firm and secure. That's what happens when we hope in Jesus. So we admit that we're sinners. We ask for help. We accept Christ as our Savior. And then we do what the first Christians did in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Great message was preached, and they said, what else do we do? We repent and be baptized. And so we follow that example, that people who put their faith in Jesus and profess Jesus, they're baptized. Look what Romans 6 says. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ for Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. For we have been united with him in death like this. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. I love the picture there in Romans. Many times when I'm walking people through the journey of faith and I explain this verse, I'll pull out a piece of paper and I'll start to just to make a little stick figure drawing. But I love the picture there because it talks about Jesus walking on this earth as a man and then Jesus dying and being put into a tomb, being buried into a grave. He rises again three days later and then he ascends onto heaven 40 days after being here on earth. And this verse talks about us doing the same thing. We walk on earth as a human. When we come to the point of giving our life to Christ and we're getting buried in a watery grave of baptism, we're buried in that watery grave for a moment. For some of you, maybe it was longer than a moment. 
but we're buried in a watery grave. When we rise again, and then what will happen is if you've done this, you'll unite with God in heaven, and then we will ascend to heaven. You see the similar picture of a death, a burial, and a resurrection, and that's why we practice the watery grave of baptism. We made sure it was good and warm. We have clothes already. The best Christmas gift you could ever open is to receive Jesus as your Savior.